Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Well, hey there. Thanks for listening to Leading Simple, helping make real life simple. I'm your host, Rusty George. Today, we got a great conversation with Dr. Matthew Sleeth. Dr. Sleeth is just an incredible thinker. He's listed by Newsweek Magazine as one of the premier thinkers in America. He has served on presidential councils. He's a physician. He's an author. He's a speaker. And he has written a book about suicide. And every one of us listening has been impacted by suicide in some capacity. And I think today's conversation will really help us be able to help people who have struggled uh, with suicide ideation, uh, help all of us who have lost a friend or a loved one because of suicide. And uh, though this is not a topic that most of us want to talk about during the holiday season, the sad news is, is that there is a spike in suicides both during the month of December and the month of January as people kind of give up hope having lived through one last holiday. Well, we want to provide help and hope. Last week, we had Michelle Benedict on to talk about mental health during the holidays. Today, Dr. Matthew Sleeth is going to give us great information about just dealing with uh, the culture of suicide in which we live. Uh, As always, we are sponsored by Compassion International. I say as always, over the last few months, we've been sponsored by them because we are on a mission to sponsor 1,000 kids. Uh, For 40 bucks a month, you can sponsor a child through Compassion International, which will change their lives forever. Uh, Don't even take my word for it. Listen to some of the kids that have grown up in the Compassion system and hear their story. From Richmond to uh, Kiwani, we have bonus episodes available on our podcast you can listen to and hear their story of what actually happens when you sponsor a child and how it changes their life. Go to Compassion.com slash Rusty and you can sponsor a child today. 40 bucks, friends. That's all it is a month. That's like four Starbucks drinks for some of you. Um, It's really, really simple to do and it changes their life forever. Well, today we're going to jump into my conversation with Dr. Matthew Sleeth. Thanks for listening. Here we go. Well, Dr. Matthew, we are so glad that to have you on the podcast. And for our listeners who do not know much about you, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and and how you came to faith. Sure. I am, uh, I, I guess I'll start with one of the most important things. I'm married uh, to my first wife. And uh, 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 I grew up in Maryland. Um, uh, went to church a little bit as a as a kid, and uh, as as I was a tween and, and a teen, my family kind of imploded. By the time I was sixteen, I was living on my own, and I'd flunked out of high school. <laughs> so, um, mm. a lot of life was just about surviving uh, then, and um, I became a carpenter. And uh, one day went to a, a, a house, uh, my favorite kind of customers. They were wealthy. The guy was a periodontal surgeon. They were Jewish. And when their 18-year-old daughter walked into the room, their worst nightmare began to unfold. That's my wife, uh, Nancy. <laughs> and uh, just hint for any of your listeners, if you're ever marrying into a Jewish family and you weren't born Jewish, there's only you know, two acceptable ways of getting on their good side. And, and, um, uh, I chose to go to medical school when I, I didn't see myself as a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and my wife and I just, uh, went about the, um, with, with her help. Uh, and actually I had to have an uncle get me into a college. No, no college would take me. Um, but, uh, very shortly afterwards, I was put in an honors program and, with my wife's help, uh, two and a half years later, without an undergraduate degree, I was accepted to multiple medical schools, which shows you what you can mm-hmm. do if you you got my wife. But <clears throat> I, I'm hanging on to her. So, uh, wow. And uh, we uh, just kind of lived the American dream. Um, that was our religion, which is to live in the best neighborhood, in the best house, send your kids to the best school. You know that 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 sort of thing. I did great work. I, I love emergency medicine. That's, that's uh, the specialty I went into. Um, and things changed for us when uh, a lot of things started going badly in our, our lives, uh, starting with my, my wife's brother drowning in front of my kids. Mm. 
really profoundly impacted my children. Um, my, my wife got depressed and, and uh, understandably so, but didn't get treated and that sort of persisted. And kind of one after another things happened. I had a patient who became obsessed over a long period uh, of time with me, stalked me, eventually did some scary stuff. Police, when they checked in his house, found his mother taped up in a closet where he had beaten her to death sometime in the week beforehand. Mm. And the last kind of bad thing um, is one that everybody in this country went to uh, went through uh, the morning of September 11th. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd gotten off work. My wife walked in and said, hey, turn on the television. Something really bad is happening. And um, we watched as that unfolded. And then my next door neighbor called. Uh, she had a son my son's age. They'd grown up you know, together there um, or were growing up together. And uh, she said, uh, you have to help me get him from school. His dad was in the first plane. You know, how do I tell him? That sort of thing. Oh, my. So uh, what happened at that point is I woke up to the fact that there was evil on the planet. Hmm. And evil didn't fit my atheist, um, humanist, uh, scientific worldview. Um, evil is a spiritual concept. And uh, right. And, and so I saw all that, but I was like, well, where does the good come from? And, and I will tell you that there is nothing but goodness in, in an emergency room when you're coding somebody, you don't even know their name. You know, they're a John or a Jane Doe, and you look around, you're running the, the code, and, and uh, you know, 15 people with hundreds of years of experience are doing everything they can to get somebody to live, and they don't even know what their name is. Hmm. I would maintain that's good, and I would maintain that God is present in those scenes. Uh, wow. And uh, so I, I knew there was good, and um, I read through uh, the Ramayana, the Bhagavad Gita, the Quran, a number of other books, uh, trying to look for where does this good come from on the planet, and uh, didn't find the answers I was looking for. And then uh, finally on a Sunday morning in the emergency department with no patients there, I picked up an orange book cause I didn't have anything to, to read. And it said, Holy Bible on the spine. And I thought, I, I don't own one of these. I've never read it. Maybe it's time to. And, uh, so I stole it. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the good news is, uh, John Wesley, uh, turned this, Prevenient grace, that's the grace that's extended to you by the Lord when you don't even know the Lord exists. And the prevenient grace there was that my parents named me Matthew. It's a big Bible. If they had named me Numbers, you and I would not be having this conversation. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I started in the book of Matthew, and it hit me. Uh, nothing has been the same. Uh, I knew that Jesus was different than anything else I'd been reading about or trying to find. And uh, that has been my, um, my, the, the North Star for me as far as uh, faith and everything else. And then my son, um, wife, and then daughter all became believers. Mm. My son is a, runs the PEDS department at Tenwick Missions Hospital in Kenya. It's a real large uh, PEDS department. Mm. Um, his wife is a PA, and my daughter works for a ministry called Heart of Africa, and her husband's a pastor. Mm. Wow. If you if you want to become downwardly mobile, pick up that orange book that says Holy Bible. <laughs> <laughs> that is incredible. So, having read those other books of faith, what was it about, you said Jesus was different than anything you'd read before. What was it about him or what you were reading that made it stand out so apart, I should say, stand apart so much? It's um, <clears throat> frankly his humanity. <laughs> in in those other stories, you know, you have these depictions of gods, and and there's some wonderful, beautiful things that happen in those. But Christ is at once the most human person I'd ever met. And and by the way, I was a carpenter for seven years. Mm-hmm. And when a guy is talking about sawdust in your eyes and getting two by fours out and that sort of thing, I recognized a carpenter telling you. A carpentry joke, you know, and mm-hmm. and so I, I, you know, you could connect to, uh, on that level, um, and then uh, you have to be honest and you say, yeah, but he's unlike any human I've ever met, and boy, I wish I could meet one like this. Yeah, I wish 
you know, there was a, a somehow a more magical explanation because I think everyone has to discover that for themselves uh, somehow. Hmm. Well, that is a, that's a remarkable journey. How old were your kids when you were coming to this realization? Uh, 12 and 14, I think, right around there. Were they up for this ride, or were there was, was there resistance um, with your kids, with your wife? I mean, well, there was a time when I yeah I came home and I said, uh, listen, I know I know what I got to do. I'm going to quit my job as chief of staff and head of the emergency department, and uh, I'm going to pursue the Lord. And I think He's got something for me to do. And that was kind of horrifying. We didn't have a safety net under us, uh, and. Um, I think it was bad enough, you know, marrying into a family that was Jewish and then to become Christian was, you know, a lot of hmm. <laughs> difficult hurdles to go over. So I don't think it was easy for anyone. And I, I literally had uh, some doctors write letters and say, I, I thought you were a smart guy and I can't have you as a friend anymore, you know, hmm. after we did that. So, um, <clears throat> no, it was not all easy. And, and, I, and I think that... In some ways, you know, a faith journey is like those um, slaves coming out of um, Egypt with, you know, Moses. You know, there are these times where you believe and you see these great miracles, and then you're complaining because you haven't had any water for a couple of days. And uh, Right, um, right. And then occasionally you get to a place with 70 palm trees, and it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> does tend to change things. Mm -hmm. So did your kids notice a difference in you? Did your wife notice a difference in you as time went on? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I didn't, I, I didn't do pagan by halves. <laughs> it was, mm -hmm. um, everything, everything changed. Um, uh, friends, uh, music, literature, uh, home. We moved from our doctor's house to a house the size of our garage. Mm. Don't feel sorry for us. Have you ever seen a doctor's garage? You know, <laughs> but you <laughs> That's know, true. I don't think D Jesus promises that things are going to stay the same. Right. Uh, he, he promises change, really. So along the way, uh, you end up working for some, you know, some, we're with some great people and uh, you're the executive director of Blessed Earth, um, written numerous articles and books. And I want to, I want to drill down on this, uh, this book that's out uh, right now called Hope Always, because this is such a, an epidemic in our society right now of suicide. I mean, it seems like we all have somebody in our life who's died by suicide. We've all had perhaps uh, thoughts about it or ideation even. Um, why do you think it's such an, uh, an epidemic right now? And why is it you chose to write this book? Great questions. I, th I think that it's, first of all, it's more of an epidemic than people realize. Uh, mm -hmm. You keep track of suicides by number per 100,000 per year. Uh, so right now we're at 14 to 15 per 100,000 per year in the United States. That, um, that is tying the traditional high that was experienced in this country during the 1930s, during the Great Depression. Hmm. Um, but the first thing I would say is that uh, they're vastly different uh, statistics, even though they look the same, because today most people who um, attempt suicide are saved. Uh, during the coming year, 10 million people will, in the United States, uh, hmm. wrestle with whether or not to end their lives. But a million and a half of those will end up in emergency departments. And most of them, because we can reverse narcotics, we can reverse benzodiazepines, we can breathe for you if you can't, we can dialyze you. Even 20% of people who use firearms or jump can be saved if they're gotten to a trauma center in the first hour. Um, if we took all that whiz-bang stuff away, we'd probably be between three-quarters of a million to a million suicides a year. And so the first thing I want to say is it's lots worse <laughs> than you think. Um, we've put a safety net under people, but even that safety net is being strained. Um, the, the other 
so I'm familiar with it as a physician. I think I'm familiar with it as a believer now. Um, and uh, it gets worse every year. It gets about 2% worse every year. And society has done for the last two to three decades everything that's been recommended. Hmm. And it gets worse by 2% every year. And so the recommendation is to do more of what we've been doing. I think as a society, we have to back up and take a different look, uh, a different approach. And um, we have let go of the anchor of God in our lives. And I think we're seeing that play out in these deaths of despair, whether that's suicides or overdoses. Mm. Uh, and the, the church, I'm sorry to say, as somebody who loves Jesus, and I sh sure like to you know, think that I'm part of his bride <laughs> as the church, um, but the average Christian has never heard a sermon on suicide. Hmm. Uh, we have developed congregations that only hear good stuff. Mm -hmm. How can you be helped? Um, and I think there is help and there is good news because until 150 years ago, the church was the primary force in Western civilization that prevented suicide. And they did a better job than we did with our trillion dollar healthcare system. Huh. Um, and so that's why I wrote it. I wanted to shake the church by the shoulders and say, we've got the answers. We've got the hope here. Um, and uh, I uh, recently uh, preached at Southeast uh, Church in Louisville. Mm -hmm. uh, at the beginning of my sermon, I said, how many of you lost somebody, a loved one or a family member, not just an acquaintance, to suicide? About half the hands went up. Mm -hmm. When I got to the, what is the church doing on it part of the sermon, I said, how many of you have ever heard a sermon on suicide? And it was an awkward moment as everybody strained to find one hand and there wasn't one hand up. Mm -hmm. And so that's why, because if we have the answers and we're staying quiet, then we are, we're really part of the problem then. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you, you, you said that, the previous things that we've tried have not worked, and we've done everything that we've been told to do. Can you just give us some of those things that are the common things that are said to, to do in order to prevent suicide? Sure. Uh, one is to uh, screen people for depression. Hmm. Uh, we now have one in eight Americans on antidepressants permanently. Mm -hmm. So we've done that, and it's not working. It'll go up to one in six on antidepressants, I'm sure, in the next few years. Mm -hmm. Eventually, um, you think they'll just put it in the water? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a lot cheaper for everybody, yeah. right? <laughs> um, we are not supposed to marginalize any groups. And now any anything you can think of that you want to be is, is okay and fully supported by society, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and yet that isn't working. Those uh, marginal, quote, marginalized groups are committing suicides at 10 to 20 times the rate of, of the background population, if you can use that term. Um, mm. We've, uh, you know, we've made access to uh, mental health uh, more readily available. And I think, by the way, there is some good in all those things. Uh, one of the points I make over and over again in Hope Always is do not stay, stop taking medicines without your prescriber. Don't think you can pray your way, you know, out of this. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to be simplistic or anything, but I, I think that we, um, that, that you have to look at the fundamentals of what atheism is versus Christianity. Christianity says that we were made intentionally by a creator and that we are responsible to that creator and that something happens after this life and we will be judged. Um, uh, secular thinking is you're an accident, nothing really matters. And once your life ends, it's all over. Um, it gets kind of hard to make a compelling argument of why somebody should go on if times are hard, if nothing matters and nothing happens after this. Mm. So with those thoughts in mind, you decide to write this book which gives us a different approach of how to manage this, or more than manage, but how to solve this issue. 
Um, the, the book is called Hope Always, How to Be a Force for Life in a Culture of Suicide. Walk us through the different approach of how we actually turn the numbers the other direction. Yeah, um, I think the one of the most fundamental uh, differences between this and other books is that uh, instead of looking at it through the disease model, mm-hmm. um, I, I look at it through the spiritual health model. And so I wanted to, there are hundreds of books on why people commit suicide. I wanted to know why people who are, have gone through just as hard a time as anyone else did not commit suicide. And by the way, right. Christians are four to six times less likely to take their own lives than atheists. Wow. That is a, that's a stat that's been around for 150 years um, and been studied over and over again. And it, and it holds. When people have faith, they're less likely to take their own lives. Um, and so I asked people everywhere from young people to up to 93 years old who went through dark times, who, who maybe even a, attempted suicide, but have come through the other end. And I was like, what, what is it? What is it now that reassures you that, that you will not do this? The number one question or the number one answer to why didn't you commit suicide was fear. People said they were afraid of what would happen afterwards, of what God would do, of what would become of them and their soul. Well, let me tell you, fear is a really good thing. Right. (laughs) Um, The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is a very special place because that's the beginning of wisdom. Mm -hmm. And so they had fear. I talked to um, individuals, but more pastors and psychiatrists that have told me again and again that people came to this brink of taking their own lives, and some were given a, a vision of hell, literally, of, of something really awful on the other side, hmm. and they backed away. Now, not everybody apparently gets that vision, right. but it was very real to those people, and, and it made it very clear to them that... Uh, that there was something worse than the life they were struggling through at the moment. Um, and uh, the, the other reason that always came up to the top was I was afraid of what would happen to my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I will tell you that it is devastating to a family to have somebody take their own lives. Right. Um, they, and, and I know that there are, are families that have worked and done everything they can to keep somebody alive, and they haven't been successful. And my heart goes out to them. We're not. This isn't a. This isn't a cure-all. This isn't a panacea um, that we're that we're talking about here. Um, but but suicide hurts. Um, and uh, writers like uh, some of your your listeners may be familiar with Frederick Beekner, mm-hmm. a, a wonderful Christian writer but who wrote again and again and again about the impact of his father uh, killing himself when Beekner was 11 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, it, this, this sticks with you. And so uh, my, my fear is that if the church doesn't wake up to this, that suicide will be like every other sin um, that grows and grows and grows where society just normalizes it right. and says it's okay. And you're going to be able to go down to the greeting card um, uh, store or a section of the drugstore, and there's going to be a whole, you know, I uh, support you in your life choice hmm. to end. Or, or, you know, there'll be some euphemism uh, around this. Right. And if you think that's really far-fetched, our neighbors to the north, I, I won't say their name, but the initials are Canada. Uh, have a law called the MAID law, medical assistance in dying. And about four or five months ago, it was amended so that someone could demand um, uh, that a physician help them suicide. One, even if they didn't have a, a, a terminal disease. Two, even if the disease um, uh, or <clears throat> excuse me, even if it wasn't terminal, and two, even if the disease they had was only mental illness. Hmm. And 
I'll tell you how this will play out. Um, children will be classified as emancipated minors once they decide to go to the doctor and end their lives. Mm. And if you think that's not true, one of the most surreal moments of my life uh, was as a senior resident pleading with an 11-year-old to let me call her mother and get her mother in on what was going on. And the reason I couldn't just pick up the phone and call was because that 11-year-old had just delivered a, a, a full-term baby, hmm. which makes her automatically an emancipated minor. And so my, my fear is that we'll literally have, uh, you know, well, in, in my city of Lexington, in, one, in, in a three-month time, we had a 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14-year-old kill themselves. Hmm. Hey, let me interrupt this podcast to tell you to go right now to Compassion.com slash Rusty and sponsor a child through Compassion. It will change their life. It will change your life. Do this as a family. Do this individually. Whatever it takes, sponsor a child today. Compassion.com slash Rusty. Okay, back to our show. I want to go back to something you said a little bit ago. I thought this was fascinating and, and, and surprising. And I, I would think that most of our listeners probably don't know this. But you said one of the things that society says you should do to prevent suicide is to free the marginalized or embrace their, their life decisions or choices. And I've heard this on a previous podcast from somebody who said, we live in the age where we are removing every sexual boundary and gender norm or boundary that we have known to be for our entire lives. And the, as much freedom as we give, the suicide rates keep going up. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, I, other than to say amen, I'm not sure there's a lot more than I can mm -hmm. um, add to that. Um, we, <clears throat> we are safer with boundaries uh, around us. Uh, we, uh, one of the things that started to make sense in life for me uh, was when I began to bump up against these boundaries in Scripture. Uh, as I became a Christian, coming through this very, very difficult time with my family and everything, I didn't want to be married anymore. Hmm. And um, most of society would say, well, you know, it's it's about you. It's about being happy and that's that sort of thing. Well, I don't think there's a don't worry, be happy in the Bible <laughs> mm -hmm. anywhere. Uh, and, and as I began to um, bump into these boundaries in Scripture, I actually began to discover joy. Mm. Um, that I, because to have myself as the God of my universe was to have a pretty small God mm -hmm. in charge. And so I think that's what you're seeing. If I can expand on it to that extent that there that that um, given our own devices we will quickly make our own world into hell hmm. do you think there's something to be said for if I'm growing up and I feel like I'm different and I blame my depression or anxiety on the fact that others don't accept my differences then when they do accept it and I'm still struggling with depression and anxiety, I have no one else to blame, so I blame myself. Or you begin to run out of, you know, if it, it's just like, <clears throat> I think it's a pretty common scenario that people think if I just had more money, I'll be happier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's not even put it into the, you know, hot button areas of sexuality or anything like that. Let's just say most people believe that they'll be happier with more money. And yet every study shows that that's not true. Right. Um, because the problem with that, I'll be happier if I have more money or I'll be happier if I'm the other gender or, or whatever, um, is it leaves God out of the equation. Mm -hmm. um, and scripturally, we are happier when we surrender ourselves um, to Christ. And uh, that, that has been my experience in real life. Um, and... Uh, you know, I think that that's the, hmm. that's the joy and the hope that many of us in church have that we need to start sharing. And instead, we're being polite. And by the way, I don't think you go out and you do a Jesus mugging, but I think that you, um, 
you you begin to say, you know, we we've got some answers, and I've been in some pretty miserable places, and other people I know have been in really miserable places, and this is what got us through. And it's not anything goes; it's Christ is is the person that I'm supposed to follow, and that's where I get the answers. Hmm. That's so good. This book is so helpful because it gives a lot of different resources as to how to help people find hope rather than just end up in despair. Uh, can we walk through the 12 ways you can save a life or help save a life? You talk through uh, these and a variety of resources you provide both in the book and also online through your website. But can you give us just a few of these that can really help somebody? Sure. Uh the uh, and by the way, none of these I say are cure alls or panaceas, but combined, right? They they really begin to uh, give the Christian an an arsenal, a a bunch of tools in their toolbox, etc. Mm-hmm. And um, so the first thing before I even do the twelve, I'm going to read a piece of scripture. Is that okay? Absolutely. It's it's. Um, and the scripture is kind of an admonishment to believers. This is not for non-believers, but about our responsibility. And it comes from the Proverbs. Proverbs 24, 11 through 12 says, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Hmm. We are our brothers and sisters keepers is is the bottom line there. So these are these are 12 ways. Um, And and by the way, for folks who who don't even want to take the time to read the book, um, if you go to um, uh, the website, uh, you can download these for free. There's somebody to take. So and what is that website? um, That is. MatthewSleethMD.com. Okay. If you forget that, just type my name into a Google search bar. It'll bring you into one of the websites. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, But the first one is to visit. I think, and we're seeing the results of this after a year and a half, or we're coming on to two years of COVID, is, is that people need a visit. And, and, we were, we were having people visit us. Um, we called it the church of the open garage door. We, <laughs> we opened our garage doors. We put, you know, chairs uh, physically distanced enough. You can get around um, COVID if you work hard, in other words. Right. Um, and people need to know that, that you care. Um, I, I relate an incident of, of going to preach in a church um, like 10 to 12,000 on that Sunday morning after the third service, everybody's gone. I looked around and I'm there and the praise leader was there had flown in from London and there was nobody to take me to lunch. Imagine wandering into a church today and you're lonely. Nothing says I care. Like, do you want to join me for a meal afterwards? Mm Mm-hmm. It, it, it can be pizza. It can be McDonald's. It doesn't matter. Um, it's that invitation uh, that matters. Uh, just ask people for a walk. Um, there's no replacement for, for the human touch. You know, we, we need to have real contact, not just virtual contact mm-hmm. um, with each other. Um, and I've, I've found uh, we, we did this to begin with for our family, because as my kids were aging and in college and that sort of thing, I just didn't feel like we were getting enough good time with them. Uh, my kids started college really early, 16 and 15. And so mm. we moved um, uh, to be by Asbury College, which is where they were going. And we started having a dinner every Friday night at 6.30. And their friends started showing up, etc. And that has gone on now for 15 years or something. And I have... Wow. People run up to me and say, I had dinner at your house. Wow, that was the greatest thing. <laughs> I don't even recognize. Them, you know? Right. Um, but it meant so much to people. So that this first is to visit, to get into people's lives and let them into yours. Mm. 
Um, number two is, is call. Just pick up. If you're worried about somebody, pick up the phone and call them. How are you doing? Um, no, no agenda. I just, I, I want to know how you're doing. I was thinking of you, you know, uh, is this a good time to talk in, in, and just pay attention. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not the same as a text. It's way better to get a phone call, mm -hmm. particularly if you know, somebody is, is feeling a little blue. Uh, they're not themselves. Right. Number three. So you have, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, go, no, go ahead. This is great. I was just going to prompt you to number three, which is a great one, which I find is a lost art, which is asking questions. Usually we're in the Twitter world of just giving information and not asking anything. Don't you think? Y yes. And, and, and I really think they should be open-ended questions, you know, mm -hmm. how are you doing? But then, you know, we, we live in this world where it's have a nice day and people are literally smiling for selfies before they jump off the bridge. Forget all that nonsense. Right. I ask the real questions, you know, um, and, um, and I put in, in ask, you know, some specific, what music are you listening to? If somebody loves music and they're not listening to music, that's a warning sign. Something's wrong with that friend. Um, hmm. If, if, if somebody normally, you know, golfs once a week and they're not doing it, why not? Mm -hmm. um, what, what, what's come up? Um, and for folks who struggle with depression, I really love the, on a scale of one to 10, where are you? One, mm -hmm. one is you're lower than whale excrement and 10 is <laughs> you're flying without a jet you know, kind of thing. But, right. Um, uh, and they, and they, and they can tell you, oh, I'm a five and you know that that's, you know, where they need to start doing some things or, or whatever. So, um, number four is, uh, send a passage uh, from scripture or an uplifting quote. Um, when I get something from somebody that says, hey, I was thinking of you and I read this scripture. Mm. Wow. What a nice encouragement mm -hmm. or, um, just, just sent one recently. Hey, I, I put a code on to go meet somebody. I know you're tired of hearing this, but you gave me the coat. It always makes me think of you or whatever. Just, just let no, you know, because one of the things that people say um, that do commit suicide um, is is they feel that it won't make any difference if they're gone, mm -hmm. or that in fact the world will be better off. And when you're saying to somebody, "Hey, I just thought of you," or "I read this," or "This is a recipe you might really like," anything, it's saying you do matter. Um, uh, that's so good you know and I, I i care about you and that sort of thing so um and we if you can't think of which scripture to send we got a list there for you <laughs> you don't have to be original or whatever right um now i'm going to show how old school i am I, I said make a playlist or a cd yeah i noticed I, that that was good yeah, that's old school. But you know what? They still play, and most cars have CD players. They did. You didn't say a mixtape. That would make it even more obvious how old we are. <laughs> well, that's back in, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Um, uh, yeah. I, uh, and, and, and just let people in on that music that's uh, lifting you up, uh, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, music just has an incredible power over our souls. And, and, one of the things that people who've made it through these really dark times told me again and again was, hey, I started listening to hymns or I started listening to praise music. We need something running in the background of our brain that's uplifting. Mm -hmm. um, a mighty fortress is our God or 10,000. It doesn't matter you know, where you are on that scale. Right. It's whatever works for you. you know? <laughs> Um, write a letter and send it by snail mail. Mm -hmm. It makes me so happy to open up a letter in, in, in the mailbox. It just says something completely different than a text or an email. Um, and, uh, it's, it's very interesting. Um, we go through a, a very hard time as a family every year. We just did. And that is that our family, our kids come back from Africa and they spend two or three months in the United States 
and then they leave. Hmm. And I will tell you, uh, and every grandmother listening to you knows that this is like having your heart ripped out over and over again, and we're not going to see the grandkids for almost a year. Hmm. Um, and we communicate by WhatsApp and, and that sort of thing, and I'm really, really glad that we have those um, you know, things available. But it's the mail that we get two months late coming from Africa that's so special. My wife sit down and my wife and I sit down and we read it and we looked at those pictures that the grandkids scrawled for us and everything. Mm -hmm. um, if if you haven't uh, mailed a, a a real snail mail letter in the, in the uh, last uh, couple of weeks or month, uh, maybe you ought to rediscover the joy of that. Mm, that's such a good word. Um, next is, uh, share a prayer. Mm -hmm. We are all, you know, I think in the church sometimes we're, we're like, pray for this, or I'll pray for, I never say, I'm going to pray for you. I say, let me pray for you right now. Mm, that's good. Um, and, um, I think it's taking the Lord's name in vain to say, I'm going to pray for you. And then you don't do it. Right. Um, and so, and then even more, I think, uh, encouraging to people is is when you send them a prayer out of the blue mm. um, and uh, and it just shows up and that can be texted and just say I was thinking of you this is my prayer for you right now mm -hmm. and it, it's so encouraging and and you know that um, when you get a criticism and and I know you get them because I know what business <laughs> yes I do uh, you know, that can be so hurtful, and there's so many critics out there today. Um, but we need to treasure those pieces of encouragement that we get and focus on those. Um, and, and so we ought to, you know, if, and by the way, I've found that in many, many of these things in my Christian walk, if you're not getting it, it means God needs you to do it. Hmm. You may not get it back, but the way to change the world is be the change you want to see in the world. By the way, right? do you know that Gandhi copied that line? I did not know that. Yes. In his book, My Experiment with the Truth, he says where he got it. Matthew 7. <laughs> Judge not lest you be judged. Get the, get the log out of your own eye. In other words, be the change you want to. Wow. And he, he took it from there. And so if you like these things and you're not getting them, Start doing them. Eventually, the world will change, mm. or the, or your world will change. Wow. Um, let me see. That's number seven, eight. Share a meal. I probably already did that, but um, I just think it's so important to sit down with people and eat. I can't believe in society that we have these halfway up chairs. They're not even sitting down. We can't even commit to sitting down and having a meal with any. It's as if we're going to dash off or miss something or whatever. Um, and, and we've literally made the architecture to, to reflect that lack of commitment. That's great. Sitting down and, and, and eating with somebody. So um, uh, I never thought about that, but you're right. Uh, so eat, um, have people over. Um, this has been one of the hardest things for our family about COVID is that we have a dining room table that seats 12 to 14 and it's full mm. and it's really been hard to not have it full this, uh, you know, past year or so. Right. Um, right. Uh, and, uh, <clears throat> but you know, this too shall pass. And, uh, uh, so share those meals with people. Um, take a walk. It, it it, there's something different about taking a walk and talking versus going in parallel playing. Mm -hmm. And there, there's so many people today that all they can do is go in parallel play. Mm -hmm. Well, in, in child development, parallel play is great. It's, it's just past learning to share your toys, but it's only just past learning to share your toys. Right. Or it's, it's right there, you know? And, and so, uh, Walking is totally different. By the way, the difference between a walk and a hike is on a hike, you have to look where you're, wa uh, where you're walking. <laughs> on a walk, you can pay attention to the person. That's good. And uh, in my town, and you used to live in Lexington, right? Mm -hmm. The greatest place to go for a walk is the cemetery. Uh, Lexington has the second oldest garden cemetery in the United States. And mm. people tend to go pretty slow. You don't have to worry about cars. And you're in this incredible garden. So, right. Um, uh, take a walk with uh, people. 
Jesus did. The, I mean, Jesus mostly taught on field trips. Right. Um, follow his example. That's good. Number 10 is Sabbath. And I am a huge believer in Sabbath. I wrote what I believe has is, is been the best-selling book on Sabbath in the United States in the last decade, which is 24-6. Um, hmm. Sabbath just became such a huge part of our life, our Christian life, right from the very beginning. And I frankly don't know how I could survive without Sabbath now. Mm. No matter what's going on, I know that I am only six days away right. from, from grabbing on to the robe of God. Mm. Um, and and that, that, that Sabbath thing, um, Sabbath was meant to be a community uh, builder. Um, you don't want to do it yourself. Um, I, I know that some folks, you or I or or police or you know emergency medicine people they may have to have their sabbath uh, alone if you will mm. but sabbath was meant to build community uh god gave uh, the hebrew slave sabbath before he gave him the 10 commandments <laughs> it's the first thing he gave him really that and man That's right. let me let me feed you and let me give you rest um and and S sabbath uh incidentally i believe that if we could do a study, you would see that one of the one of the fundamental um, things that quote protects Christians is Sabbath. Mm -hmm. Sabbath keeping is just a key to mental health. Mm. That's so good. Um, and, and so Sabbath is on there. And and for for your listeners who've never tried Sabbath, you're not going to get it right the first time. You're not going to get it right the first four times. Right. Um, you've got to learn how to be still and know that God is God. Mm -hmm. um, but the payoff is ginormous. Mm -hmm. And um, can I go down this bunny trail just a, a, yes. a tiny bit further? Please do. I, I'm just such a big believer in Sabbath. Um, when we first became Christians, we adopted Sabbath in our home. Mm. And my children were going to a very, very tough high school. I uh, believe it's 50 congressmen, senators, and one president that have graduated from the high school. Mm. And and um, we were told, we were living up in New England, and, and we were told that if your kids don't do homework on Sunday, they are not going to make it here. They're not going to be competitive. They're not going to get into the Ivy League, et cetera. <clears throat> my son was a valedictorian. victorian <laughs> mm. um, uh, my daughter didn't graduate from high school. She only missed two questions on her SAT. So she started college without a high school diploma. <laughs> they were both valedictorians in their college. And my son was the youngest med school graduate from University of Kentucky ever. And he was the valedictorian. We ran the experiment. Now, they are smart kids, and they're, but there's lots of smart kids. They had a Jewish mom, but there's plenty of those kids around. <laughs> They had one thing nobody else had. They had Sabbath. Hmm. They had one day out of every week in which it wasn't about being a human doing. They knew that God loved them just for being a human being. Hmm. Um, and so particularly for your listeners who might be struggling with some uh, depression and thoughts of suicide, hmm. really explore and pursue Sabbath would be mm -hmm. uh, advice I would give you. Um, That's good. And the last one is do something fun, <laughs> you know? right? Figure figure out what's fun for you. If, 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 you know, and it does not have to be adult fun. If you haven't been on a really long swing in a long time, why do we give up swinging? I mean, <laughs> you know, just just those uh, you know kind of uh, simple things. They don't always have to mm -hmm. be complicated or, or uh, cost money. Um, for a lot of people, board games are just spectacular. Um, I found my kids with other kids. They just love those. Uh, but, you know, you'll get into this rut of working and going and going and going, and we'll forget, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, just to have fun. And Jesus was a partier, by the way. Yeah, that's right. So those are the those are the top 12. Well, I love that. And these are all available uh, on your website and so many great things in the book as well. Hope Always, How to Be a Force for Life in a Culture of Suicide. 
by the time this airs, uh, we will have probably heard of more people who have made that tragic decision. We will have seen more people wrestle with mental health and depression and anxiety. If there's anything we need, it are these these 12 steps, uh, which will eventually help us understand and point to the life that Jesus offers us, which is the one thing that is suddenly and sorely not shared. We often talk about other ways to find help against suicide, but this is such, such hope. So, Dr. Slee, thank you so much for sharing your life with us and your journey with us and for writing this book. This is fantastic. Such a huge help. Well, thank you, Rusty. And uh, um, just just God bless you and, and your listeners. And, 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 and always remember, um, uh, Jesus came that we would have life and have it more abundantly. So grab that abundant life. Amen. And for all of our listeners, you can find these resources at Matthew Sleeth, MD. And that is the best place to get information uh, about these steps. So again, thank you very much. And uh, I sure appreciate having you on the podcast. Likewise. Well, I don't know about you, but I was so impacted by that. I've quoted him many times since hearing this for the very first time. I'd love for you to share this with a friend. You know somebody who is struggling either with the uh, effects that suicide has had on them, with a family member or a friend, or you know somebody who's struggling with suicide ideation and is thinking about it actually during this holiday season. Send this podcast to them. Uh, Let us help them and, and encourage them through this. Uh, as always, uh, you know, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and a review. That would mean the world to me. I'd love to hear from you. You can DM me on Instagram at Rusty L. George. And once again, make sure you go to Compassion.com slash Rusty to sponsor a child. We'll talk to you next week. Got a great conversation with Pastor Joel Thomas. Uh, he's a guy that you may not have heard about before, but he has... Uh, recently left a position as a senior pastor to go work under Andy Stanley at North Point Community Church, where he used to be the campus pastor at that broadcast campus. And we're going to get into all of that. What's it like to follow a legend, to lead through a crisis, and why he even returned to North Point in the first place. You're going to love this. So check it out next week. As always, keep it simple. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple.